A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. England defence and the best job has gone for the high ball, trying to look it up for Hope Goal! And they've scored! <laughs> Ray Houghton! We're a small country and listen, we're up against it, but let's not just go along for the sink song every now and again. Well, we're going to have another goal to add to the collection there in that audio montage. For some reason, Sean St. Ledger's goal in Euro 2012 has cruelly denied a spot in there. Airbrush from history. But uh, there you go. Yeah, we're um, sitting pretty. I'm looking at the table here. I should mention, this is the Irish Times Second Captain's Euros podcast. Not only are myself and Murph here, but Richie's popped in for the first time. Richie, how how are you? Morning, lads. You well? Oh, we're pretty good. Well, looking at this table, I'm I'm feeling great. We've got a point on the board. We're sitting in second spot. In Group E. I didn't ask too many qu- When I saw uh, the table, I was like, yes, that's fine. I'll just accept that. Uh, alphabetical and not order. Any. Alphabetical order. Yeah, well, I'm working mm. it out because I'm having a look. So we're in second spot. So were the groups to end today? Yeah. We're going through to the last 16. The fates that are, the fate, we have uh, our fate in our own hands. Though. Yeah, we would be playing the winners of Group E in the last 16, Murph. That's Austria, who have top spot there after zero games due to Austria beginning with an A. Okay, right. So yeah. uh, they're f- flying, <laughs> flying high there. <laughs> Richie, what did you make last night? Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a totally different experience from the opening game of the last tournament we were involved in. There was a little frustration, disappointment at the end when you think, well, you know, we could have really gotten three points. The way we played, the chances we created, Sweden, with the exception of the goal they got, they didn't. I don't think they had a shot on target. Is that the stat going yeah. around? Yeah. Um, Kieran Clark had a couple on, on target for them, but yeah, um, and and. Ibrahimovic didn't do much at all. I thought no. Clark and, and, and everyone else dealt really well with him. Hendrik created a load of chances, two or three chances himself. Disappointed not to win, but um, loads of positives. A couple of concerns at the end of it, like Wes did mention, is he was feeling his calf, and O'Neill said that he signaled to him to for him to be brought off. So we'll see how that settles down. But Walter's injury, I think, is the big issue now for us. Okay. Well, we'll get we'll, we'll get on to well, no. What you say? It sounds like you want to talk about Walter's injury. What What do you want to say? Do you know what he he when when he he did look like someone that would be brought off at, at some point. I thought he, he he looked a little bit knackered, and that was to be expected given his his recent injury issues. But an interview he gave after the game, he said, I think to Tony O'Donoghue, he said, you know what? I felt it in the first minute, and Tony said, in the first minute, said, yeah, in the first minute, I couldn't really sprint and I couldn't really jump. Mm. Now I think a lot of people's reading of that would be to immediately jump in and go what a hero look at this fella here playing through the pain barrier lasted I don't know how many minutes on the pitch my thinking was get off 
like we're not so good that we can carry from the first minute a player by his own admission has said he can't sprint and can't jump. Now maybe that was just a throwaway phrase he said can't sprint, can't jump but, and maybe he could do both but I don't know why he would say it if he could but like, but come off like, and I, I know I've like Jesus. I've been in the position loads of times. You, you want to play in a game, big or small. You just you naturally want to play in a game, and it's all your personal ambitions achieved by playing in a game like that last night. But for the sake of the greater good, if you can't sprint and you recognise in the first minute that you can't sprint, your job there, the only thing that should be in your head is you signal to the manager and you let him know, because I, I just think at that point. Like, we're not so good that we can have ten and a half people Player, on the pitch. Yeah, players rarely do that, though. At this, uh, When they've been waiting for this moment for so long, do they? Jason McAteer in 2002 admitted that he was injured and shouldn't have played. Yeah. Shea Given has never admitted that, but, but we, he had we the all look. suspected it. Yeah, he, just, he, he I did carry an injury into the to- last tournament and didn't play well. Yeah, I, to be honest, there's a lot of sense in what Richie says. There's also a lot of sense in what you say, mm. but I think you take it to half time in a situation like that even. You know, if, if you say, right, okay, maybe I can run this off. Maybe it'll just get, maybe adrenaline will get me through. But at halftime, I think you have to, you know, you are kind of honour bound at that stage to say something to the medical staff. It, it was it was the phrase that I couldn't really sprint. Like, I again, you're you're absolutely right to, to, to the two things there that we're, we're talking about. First of all, you kind of, your, 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 de- your desire to play, your adrenaline will get you through. You're just pumped like you are for no other game because there is no other game like like an opening game of a tournament for your country in a situation like this. But if you can't sprint, it becomes it's you're not in the category anymore of going. I want to kind of run this off. Is this one? Of, is this one of these things that I'm going to hurt and it's going? I'm going to feel it, but it's not really going to affect my performance. If you can't sprint, I, this sounds like get off. If he couldn't sprint for the after a minute, couldn't sprint, couldn't jump after a minute. I would have thought he'd be he couldn't sprint or jump. That morning, it staggers me how these guys get through these fitness tests um, on the morning of games and then a minute into them are feeling like they actually aren't fit at all. In in football, I don't know if it's dramatically changed from my day, I assume it hasn't. There isn't any such thing as a standard fitness test. There isn't certain things you have to do. Um, And in in my experience, it kind of depends... On the quality of the player, his his role within the team, <laughs> um, and how much the team wants him. Yeah, because it's, I suppose similar to, to to things like squad selection when we when we discussed it leading up to O'Neill's thing. You know, he he'd leave it late for Harry Arter because some players deserve to be left a little bit late because you really want them in the team. Um, first minute injury recurrence suggests that maybe he wasn't right going into the game but he did say he was fine in training a couple of days pain free but I don't know what extent he exerted himself on those two days of training yeah and I think as well that with a fitness test the the idea of it is that you want to prove your fitness exactly so I mean it's not like you're going at 100% right I'm going to really really test this injury like so it's fireproof for the start of the game what I want to do is trying to hide it essentially what you want to do is you want to take it to 75% or 80%, just to the level whereby it looks like you're trying as hard as you can to prove your fitness. And then when the the second the the whistle goes, your mindset is the exact opposite, where instead of trying to run at 100%, you're going 101%. You know, like you're, 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 like, that's just a, that's just a mindset. So I I don't blame him for that. You know, I like, there's um, so many examples of footballers uh, going, getting through fitness tests and then, and then breaking down. But I mean, it's, in, it's interesting because what we're saying here is basically 
you know, that there's an element of selfishness in what he did. But also, I mean, if he was really being selfish, he would have taken himself off after 25 minutes and said, right, let's get myself right for the next two games, rather than playing on an injury that he's already carried into a game and is probably doing more and more damage to it the longer he stays on the field. Well, he might well have convinced himself that he was going to be able to do it for the team as well. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Of course, it's selfishness. Every player has to think about themselves. It's a a team sport made up of 11 individuals, and and, and each of them has their own ego and has their own belief in what they can bring to the team. In Walters' case, it's belief that's well-founded because he was their best player by probably quite a distance in over the course of the qualifying campaign. So I, I, I I, I doubt in John Walters' mind he's thinking screw the team, I'm playing yeah, this regardless. I'd, I'd say he's thinking, I can actually do something for this team, even if I'm only 80, 85%. Like, it's totally understandable, and I, I, I'm in no position to kind of be, to, to, to be judging a fella, because it's something I did numerous times, and it, it's probably a big reason why I retired when I did, was because I repeatedly went out and put myself in a position to play when I was nowhere near physically up to it, but I just, exactly what you say, you convince yourself because it means so much to you, and you want to prove people wrong, and you want to play, and a fitness test is often... No, you're running around, running in and out of cones. You might be striking a ball, and the person, the staff member next to you goes, "How are you?" And you go, "Yeah, that feels okay." Yeah. And then, like, you know, <laughs> that's that's like, and that's yeah. it. Test yeah. done. You've passed. You go right, nice one. I'm in. Yeah, like the staff don't want to see you getting injured either. You know, like, they, like all they're looking for is, "I hope he's fit enough. I hope he's fit enough." Have I seen anything compelling to tell me that he's not fit enough? I haven't. He's in the team. That's it. You know, and like exactly. I mean, it's not it's not selfishness. It's actually just confidence that me at eighty five percent is better than the guy that they'd bring on. If I got if I got injured, let's you know, talk so. about some of the good stuff, will we? Yes. Yeah, yeah, and there was plenty of good stuff. Well, particularly the goal. That that's it. That's a proper major tournament goal. Jonathan Pierce on BBC commentary. I was watching it back this morning, and uh, just to see how they reacted. I only got a few minutes of it, but Pierce was incredibly excited. Like it was actually really, really great commentary on the goal. Like you'd swear he was Irish in the mm. way he was uh, carrying on. But then a couple of seconds afterwards, he was like. It looks like it might have come off his knee, he says about the goal. And I was thinking, Aww. no, he corrected himself once he saw the replays. But there yeah. was that split second where I was like, hang on a second. Not another one of these, right? We don't want in 30 years' time Wes Hoolan to be doing the after-dinner circuit and yeah. being asked, did it come off your knee? As Ronnie <laughs> Whelan gets asked every time he talks about Euro 88. Thankfully, Jonathan Bears corrected himself and said, no, that's actually a really good strike. With his weaker foot as well. That's I think that's the key. Those half ollies aren't the easiest in the world anyway, Richie. But when you're having to take a couple of steps back to get to get... A proper angle on it and excuse me striking with your weak foot uh, not bad yeah no it was a great finish and it was really good play as well from Seamus Coleman um, to, to set up the opportunity but it's it, I, I just thought it was a lovely moment that it, it was it was Wes who did that yeah. just the whole back so we know it all at this stage he didn't play for years and, and, and the difficulty he had getting getting a move to England and, and all of that stuff and it, it, he is one of the most technically gifted players we have um, probably the most and um I was with Pat Fenlon actually sitting next to him uh, commentating on the game for RT Radio and Pat has a load of history with him from Shelburne days as well. So it was great. It was brilliant. We we, we were punching the air with the light. Really, yeah. yeah, it was just... Yeah, it was. It was, it was, it was a lovely moment. Would Fenlon, uh, Fenlon managed him, obviously. Would he, would he have been bigging him up uh, and saying this is a guy who should be in England? Uh, well, I remember actually when, when I... When I the, the first job I got when I retired was to work with a sports agency and Wes was one of our clients. And the role at the time was to try and get him out of the League of Ireland. He was with Shelburne at the time and, 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 and nothing happened. And then I left and, and, and moved to Millwall Academy and I brought the chief scout over. Same thing. Look at this fella. He's great. And they just dismissed him. He's not too small. And this was the recurring theme for Wes at the time. He was just dismissed as too small, too too slight. 
um, and the league here wasn't good enough to judge anyone on, so he, it was difficult to get him out, but he is where he is as a result of a huge amount of hard work. Yeah. Murph, your, your take on the goal? Murph's hot take? Uh, yeah, it was a really, really sweet moment. I think everyone, well, I mean, the first reaction actually is just thank God we've scored here mm. because, you know, the, the, the way the first half had gone, you kind of felt like we're not going to play that well again. There's no way we're going to play that well again. And then to get the goal pretty much immediately at the start of the second half. But then I think actually everyone's reaction immediately after that was what a brilliant goal. And we couldn't, I mean, I think Shane Long is kind of, we want... You want your strikers you want your, to score, yeah, that's to true, score yeah. goals, you know, but at the same time, if it wasn't Shane Long, Wes Hoolan, well, I think everyone would prefer even Wes to Shane Long getting goals, to be honest, but yeah, just a, an amazing moment, like an absolutely brilliant moment, and it, this doesn't happen all that often, you know, we don't get that many goals in major tournaments, and you kind of, like, even afterwards, it's like, this is one of, I think it's 14 goals we scored in major tournaments you know that's the 14th goal we scored I mean they don't come along that often like we qualified for our first major tournament 28 years ago that's one goal every two years <laughs> that, you know if you spread it out over that, that length of time so they're, they're special moments you know yeah, he produced loads of special moments even aside from that I thought there was a little spell in the, probably midway through the second half where mm. he did he nutmeg one one player and then did his little drag back on another player and then there's always something at the end of it as well he'll always do he'll always beat his man and then just give a little something he killed the ball on the left hand side at one stage it was a ball mm. fizzed over to him and the t- his technical level yeah. is amazing yes he's just one of those players who when he does something you kind of just kind of grab the arm and the fella next yeah. to you <laughs> to see that and, and no one else does that there, there's yeah. no other player in the Irish team who, who will give you a little moment like that like on occasion McGeady might give you a bit of skill but it won't be followed up like you said with, with an end product the chances are a teammate won't have the ball after he yeah. releases it so um, he's just really good player hugely important to us and you just cross your fingers that whatever injury he has or whatever problem he has with his calf after <laughs> yesterday settles and also there's that issue you know can he play the I, I, two games I, a week all that, that conversation but there's already that issue and then he's he's openly talking afterwards about he's I was almost thinking Wes don't admit that you were feeling your calves there just say no 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 I'm, I just I'm, I'm, I was taken off tactically nearly I'd yeah, say it's kind of a different a, a difficult he, one he's form, not starting I Belgium I don't think uh, I don't think that we can play Belgium without him to be honest I think that I, it's a di- the the injury him to come out and talking about it is kind of a, is a difficult one for him because I think he's eager to tell people on O'Neill's behalf that he wasn't taken off just for tactical reasons because like when I saw Hulan coming off, you know I you know nearly punched the TV screen mm. like you know I, they, we do this so often we take him off and we immediately lose everything good that we have in our game. But I mean, so I I, I think he was anxious to say right it wasn't a tactical substitution. I was just feeling my calf a little bit. But yeah, I mean it's a pretty delicate balancing act. Because he also wants to make sure that everyone knows that he's available to play against Belgium. I, to be honest, I think he's too good. I think he's too good now. And I think the fact that he's done it in a tournament, you know, there, there are rules in regular season. There are rules for international, you know, weeks and all the rest of that. The rules are different now. You know, like you, you play players who are injured because, or you, you, you take risks with guys because this is it. Like you don't, there's not, you know, there's not a, a game in a couple of months where that'll matter as much. This this is it. Like you have to play Hulan, I think. Richie. And the, the the formation of our squad, if we're if we're getting to the point that we're assuming Walters is definitely gonna be unavailable for the Belgium game. Yeah. Probably by the sounds of it, I and mean, you look at his interview, God he sounded really really down. Down yeah. and he didn't rule himself out, but there was nothing from what he said that would give you hope that he'd be involved. So if Walters is gone 
if Houlihan then is 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 unavailable, um, we're we're fairly light then in 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 options because you're looking at the bench then and and who comes in like McGeady or or Murphy or Robbie yeah. like they're the, they're the attacking players McLean might come in in, in some manner of a role but um, yeah someone you'd like start him. Yeah. You'd, you'd start Wes unless he was categorically injured oh, if, if if Wes is fully fit and injury free and puts his hand up and says absolutely I'm in contention here to start like you're starting there's, there's like that's yeah, oh, think, we could I end up with another Walter situation listen, but the argument was there's like there's four no days actual, yeah. you know, and it's five days so I mean that's obviously a totally different argument right? <laughs> well there's no actual injury as such I mean it seems like he's talking about wasn't in the calves a bit of tightness so yeah. I don't know if that even qualifies necessarily as no it doesn't really you're absolutely right there is plus no Belgium there. are useless anyway it turns out so it doesn't matter we can just coast through that game and, yeah, and yeah. awful uh, yeah. disarray we've got them at the right time Yeah, let's get over to Paris Well, Ken Early, how was last night for you? Oh, Alan. Oh, <laughs> Alan, last night, last night, I've got to say, was very good. It's very good. I mean, you know, the game could have been better, but the night was extremely good. Oh, yeah? Um, I mean, I don't know. What, what, uh, what can I say? Well, there was obviously the good... fans in the world. There was a good. You're, you're mingling with the Irish supporters afterwards. The atmosphere looked great in the stadium. Yeah, the atmosphere was good and so I mean, it was particularly good for, you know, at least until Sweden scored. At which point, the you know, the Irish fans fell silent. There was a deathly silence <laughs> from, from that end of the ground, and nothing more was heard until the uh, until the final whistle. But um, yeah, I went. I went to. Uh, I went to where the Irish supporters were were massed. I was kind of interested on it. it was because I had an academic interest. Of course, of course, you're a journalist, Ken. I uh, I'm a journalist, and I had an academic interest in how things were going with the Ireland fans, mm-hmm. having seen some some other sets of fans, some other sets of fans over the previous couple of days. I thought. Uh, oh, it's it's okay. actually it's actually part of a wider study that you're doing. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Well, look, you know, I thought. What is the difference between, say, certain other groups of supporters? I mean, okay, after the game, we, you know, there was various work to do in the stadium, do, doing the work, blah, 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 blah. Finished all that. Um, went into town. Uh, I met a couple of uh, I met a couple of friends at a at a bar near Garden Nord. You know, pretty quiet. On let's say pretty. Owen and Kieran and Richie. Yes. Yeah. Uh, pretty quiet. Pretty low key, um, and I was I was I was like you know what's what's going on with the Irish supporters you know what are they all what are they all up to you know how how, how do they approach the the problem of getting together and you know celebrating their team in the in the European Championships and uh, I you know I I got to see various I was looking at various videos you know I'm sure you've seen them all yourself. You know the Irish supporter standing on the van who takes off all his clothes. Yeah. Um, so. The way that the Irish supporters chant "Yeah, yeah, 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 ye
whenever a black person walks past. Um, you know, this kind of stuff. And I thought, hmm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Um, and I wondered, I wondered uh, what really is the difference between these Irish fans and, and other sets of supporters? I'm not naming any names, but other sets of supporters who uh, one day engage in, in drunken song find themselves being clubbed uh, by the police. Um, so I thought it would be interesting to go and, and see this for myself. Sure. What, what was your conclusion? What is it the difference? It was absolutely amazing. <laughs> My conclusion is it was absolutely just an amazing atmosphere. It was up, um, you know, up, uh, up by where the Moulin Rouge is. Yeah. Uh, Boulevard de Clichy, I think. Um, arrived up there. Um, I, I, I found it difficult to make sense of what, what I was seeing at first. It was sort of, there was a big crowd of people, sure. I mean, I wasn't surprised by that. But then... Standing amongst the crowd, there was kind of a, a another a little crowd of people at a higher level, um, with Irish and Swedish flags, which were sort of fluttering uh, vertically. You know what I mean? Fluttering vertically into the air. You know what I mean? Like um, the famous photograph of Marilyn Monroe, um, where she's sort of uh, standing over the, uh, you know, the, the subway. She's, yeah. she's obviously walked across some kind of air vent in the street. Yeah. Um, there was evidently some kind of massive air vent, which was creating this uh, upwards flow of air, which all these flags were sort of fluttering up. And uh, these fans were all sort of gathered together um, with their flags kind of flying high into the air, um, singing various, I can't remember, they were singing all kinds of stuff, um, including, you know, ABBA songs. Um, but walking up onto the street, the, the entire street, you know, for, I don't know, <laughs> meters it was completely full of people there was barely an inch of ground that you could walk across which which didn't have a piece of broken glass on it um so it looked maybe like the uh the aftermath of some enormous hooligan battle uh but there hadn't been any i think all those pieces of glass had been dropped rather than thrown <laughs> if you know what i mean yeah and uh Really, it was actually it was just a fantastic atmosphere. There was just so many people there. Everyone was just having a good time. Uh, I didn't see... I mean, I was there quite late. Um, until the point at which I left, I certainly didn't see any kind of... Uh, any kind of violence. It was really, really, it was uh, it was a really, really good night. Excellent. Well, glad to hear you had a great night. What about the game itself? Again, if you can transport us back to pre-celebrations. Uh, we've oh, been talking about how, Well, we've been talking about how great Wes was. It was also... It's also a bit of a coming of age for Jeff Hendrick on the international scene, or Hendrix, Jeff as Hendrick. everybody seems to call him for some reason. Hendrix, yeah, I saw. I, I just saw. I just saw your tweet on. Oh yeah, I just. Uh, I, I, I think I tweeted and said, um, if Hendrick keeps up this, if Jeff Hendrick keeps up this level of performance, maybe pundits and commentators will stop adding an S to the end of his surname. And honestly, the majority of them do it. It's it's insane. I think I've I've even heard Roy Keane do that. So, but it's just I suppose people like Jimi Hendrix and what can you do? You know, he's he was an amazing guitarist. Uh, he's he's left a big imprint on people's imagination. Whereas Hendrix is just a name that you don't hear, perhaps as often as Hendrix. Um, but people are going to learn that name, as you say, on if he keeps if he keeps it up. He was fantastic. Hulin is amazing. Wes Hulin is an amazing footballer, and I mean after the game, uh, he you know I was, everyone was kind of hoping he might talk. He 
obviously had to do a TV interview. Then he had to do like the UEFA Man of the Match interview. You know, the, the UEFA Man of the Match has to come into the press conference and and do like, uh, you know, answer some questions. Um, I didn't actually see. I wasn't in the press conference. I was in the mix zone. People were hoping he might stop in the mix zone, but he he just he just went straight through. He just escaped forever. And everyone's like, "Where's where's?" And he just kept going. And then he's like, "Where's you?" You know, that was really good. And he's thank you very much. And then just <laughs> really, he didn't he didn't stop to. Sean said Ledger. Sean said Ledger literally has thrown his shoes at his computer at the at the at the <laughs> notion of a goal scorer in the UEFA European Championships not score not stopping in the mix zone to tell everyone how brilliant he is. Oh, I still remember Sean St. Ledger in that mix zone um, in Gdansk, standing there for pretty much half an hour. <laughs> half an hour. He was actually standing with his hands behind his back. Uh, like a man at talking. the mart. Sorry? <laughs> like a man at the mart. Well, I don't know. Like, like a, I don't know, like a sort of, a, you know, a, a politician sort of inspecting the troops going past you know he was like but uh he, he you know he just wanted to talk and talk whereas now he's like thanks very much he just left robbie brady um talked for a little while uh he, he, a lot of the irish players actually just went straight through which i was a bit surprised by i mean glenn whelan for instance who's one of the most experienced players in the squad and had played quite well hmm. you would have thought it would be the kind of person who might stop he just went straight through robbie brady stopped and talked and um, I was pretty good. And a lot of the, a lot of what he talked about was just how amazing Wes Hoolan is and what a pleasure it is to play with him. Um I mean he was just so he was just so good. I mean you're it's like what what are you hoping when you when you see Ireland playing a game like this? It's just that people will you know, the players will actually kind of give the sort of performance that, you know, they can be proud of. At the end of you know, whatever the result turns out to be, that at least the players have kind of given a good account of themselves and I think for most people that ultimately was the way that it worked out I mean there's a couple of exceptions which we can get to but um, for in the case of Hulan he was just absolutely fantastic uh, you know he, he was just growing into the game so much I mean there was every time he got on the ball it was just oozing quality I mean there was just such beautiful touches on the ball that you know there was a there was a moment in the first half the ball kind of it was just a sort of slightly awkward ball which he controlled so nicely kind of into his stride you know he's kind of running along with it the drag back on Sebastian Larson in the second half you know you know what I'm talking about yeah we were just ch- chatting about that yeah I forgot who it was it was Larson he dragged he 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 uh, humiliated yeah it was it was just absolutely amazing and then of course he passed it to James McLean and McLean actually did literally a rugby. A rugby stutter step and then dash for the end line and finish in the corner. I mean, as we've seen, as we would like to see Irish rugby players do at the Stade de France, um, but mainly not so, maybe not so much uh, football players. But, you know, he was just he was just absolutely brilliant. It was, you know, and, and I remember what Robbie Brady, just after the game, what struck me about Robbie Brady was the way that he was talking almost almost like a like a fan in a way he was just like it's so like he he, he was he was just delighted to be able to watch this you know what i mean yeah it was incredible like this is this is another guy in the field who's like it's just he's just a pleasure to watch like he's an amazing player to play with but it's just a pleasure to be able to watch him richie you know he missed yeah, yeah. richie you've played professional football you might be able to explain to all of us listening right now 
why do teams, after scoring a goal and being by far better than the other side on the pitch, immediately change everything about what, about their approach and about uh, how they got there in the first place, thereby conceding an inevitable equaliser? At which point they go back to something like what they've been doing beforehand. <laughs> what, what, what's, why, do, why does this happen? Yeah, it's a, it's kind of a difficult thing to explain the way momentum can shift in a game, and you know it's real cliche goals change games, but they do, like they they just do. Um, yeah, but sometimes for the worst, you know, I, you, you know. would think goals should change. You score a goal, and that solidifies your belief in what you've been doing. But it doesn't. It certainly didn't for Ireland. We seem to panic straight away afterwards. Yeah, because all of a sudden you're mo- and and this is a general statement. Everyone will respond differently, but the, you, you you can be drawn into a mindset. We go right. We've got something here now. So it's not an instruction from a manager. It's not like, lads, when we go 1-0 up, this is how we change our play. But it's when you go 1-0 up, you go, right, if nothing changes, we've got the three points, we've got the win. So it's just something happens in the back of your mind where you're just a little bit more conservative. And you'll get a response from the other team as well. They will change because they've just gone a goal down. So it, it, it's, it would be great to think every time you get a goal, you just boost it in confidence and you do more of what you've done that got you the goal in the first place. But that kind of... It's a bit dismissive of the fact that you're going to get a totally different response from the opponent who's just conceded. Yeah, it's just so frustrating because, yeah. I mean, it got to the stage where when Sweden scored, I was like, right, better they score, they score now than score in the 89th minute because I was convinced that we'd get back to <laughs> the way we were playing. And we actually did, as you say, get quite close to that level of performance again. I, I actually turned and said, we've got 20 minutes here to get uh, to get the winner. Uh uh, like after that and said right well they were always going to equalise so at least now we have 25 minutes mm. to, to actually go and try and win the game Right from the kickoff, Sweden after we scored the goal Sweden put together a few passes got a ball down the right hand side pinged I think a cross field ball to the left uh, it was then transferred into the box and Kieran Clark had his first I don't even want to sh- say shaky moment his first be- cider his first cider yeah he was getting a marker laying a marker down there he kind of hoofed it over the bar could have gone anywhere but luckily it went over the bar so we didn't even have that that, that sort of 60 seconds to two minute spell where you settle it down Richie and you, you, and you just take stock of the fact that you'd scored a goal Is that a, was that a mental lapse or is it just coincidental that Sweden happened to start uh, pressing us a little, a little better um, I suppose maybe a bit of both um, you, again you, you'd expect Sweden to respond because if I mean, they they were by far like the the inferior team up until when we scored. So a big response from them was always going to come. But I think we we a little bit assisted them in their efforts by there was a, there was a noticeable imbalance in our play in the second half on the right hand side. We seemed to be a little bit exposed. Um, McLean, I think, had come on and he was on the left hand side, and we just didn't seem to have anyone out on on the right side. Um, Coleman was a little bit exposed. I think Olsen had a lot of joy down that side. So it was a combination of things. Psychologically, maybe was 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 at play some of the elements, but certainly in a football tactical sense, I think we were a little bit, a little bit lopsided. Can you yeah. mention? Yeah, well, you I want mean, to be in there? Yeah. I think I think the problem we had defensively was actually Coleman. <clears throat> Coleman was out of position. Too, a few too many times. I mean, including for the goal. If you if you look at the goal, you know what's happened is that Coleman has followed Forsberg, who was kind of you know the the left sided Swedish midfielder, who I guess is Coleman's man for most of the game. But Coleman had had kind of followed him into the middle like a little duck, you know, following after its mother, and ended up standing in front of the Irish centre-halves and more or less in, in the area of the pitch that Glenn Whelan is in. Whelan, who played really well, I thought, in a role which was mainly just hanging out as Zlatan, um, 
but he did that really well, and, and you know he really he really helped us shut Zlatan down. It was a kind of frustrating day for him. But Coleman had had wandered into the middle, and then on ended up almost you know himself and Whelan kind of ran into each other, uh, which was what gave Zlatan suddenly that little yard of space that he was able to escape. And if you you know you remember basically uh, the ball came to Zlatan, there was nobody outside John O'Shea. Satan was just able to dribble around John O'Shea and put it into the middle. And that wasn't the only time, actually, that Coleman completely vanished from that area and ended up standing in front of the centre halves. And it happened a couple of times. I mean, positionally, you know, maybe maybe we have to give Forsberg a bit of credit in terms of his movement was clever. Maybe Sweden had thought this was something they might be able to do. Maybe Coleman would follow Forsberg uh, and leave that area a little bit exposed. But that's ultimately what happened in the goal. It was It was unfortunate. Yeah, maybe uh, Coleman didn't. I think you're suggesting, Richie, that he mightn't have had enough support back there either, though. That it, he was he was maybe getting dragged into bad positions, but not helped by seemingly nobody else hanging around that side of the field for about twenty minutes. Yeah, and it seemed to be a really obvious thing. It seemed like it's well, yeah, was that Whelan's, Yeah, was that Whelan's responsibility or Walters' responsibility to get no, out and try and help? Usually, Coleman? usually Walters would be helping to cover that side, but Walters, I don't think, was quite as mobile as he usually would have been, given that in the first minute he damaged his Achilles. And, and he was kind of limping around to an extent. And I think as well, I, I just heard one of the radio reports this morning reporting the match and see, you know, a moment of magic from Zlatan. Undi- like, come on, there was nothing magical <laughs> about what he did. I think we're getting way too caught because it's him. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. any player on he that pitch yesterday in that position could have taken the touch he took and crossed the ball. We talked about a lot of the players who played well. Can you mention one or two who maybe didn't stand up? Who did you think... I was about to say let us down a little bit harsh there. Who do you think didn't play well? Who shamed the nation? Who shamed yeah. the nation last night? Uh, James McCarthy. Yeah, he wasn't great. No. His passing um, was just he, just, he seemed to overhit every pass by about five yards. And in fact, the goal, the Irish goal came from his overhit pass, in a sense. I mean, you know, through, uh, you know, no no thanks to, no thanks to him, uh, but he, he played the ball to Coleman and it was a terrible pass. Like it was, it was, it was past Coleman, and it was, uh, it was overhit. So Coleman actually had to run back out towards the sideline to get this ball. And as luck would have it, that meant that Forsberg, who, who was marking Coleman, ran out kind of towards him and left. It meant it basically opened up an extra couple of yards of space in behind him. Be, you know, the fact that it's, this was happening wider than it would have been. Like, if McCarthy had passed the ball where he was meant to pass it, Coleman probably would have put the ball in first time. But instead, he had to run out to the sideline, got the ball, and then suddenly the, there was, behind Forsberg, five or six yards of space, which wouldn't have been there otherwise. So he then kind of drove into that, went past him, and put over the ball for Hulin to score. Um, but it was just, that, that pass was kind of symptomatic of a pretty poor afternoon from a pretty poor evening from McCarthy who it's not as though he played terribly but I mean I'm okay I've seen him play a lot better than that there was just a lot of moments when he seems indecisive about what to do with the ball he was a little bit jittery you know he was just taking a half a second longer than he than he would do if he was playing well to play the ball um you know there was some misdirected passes there was some clumsy fouls you know he got booked um, you know, when he, I can't remember who it was, who he just allowed to go past him and he pulled him over. Um, he, I thought could have been sent off. 
because he, he committed sort of other, you know, the kind of fouls that you see yellow cards given for, you know, that sort of tactical, oh, I'll break up that attack now because mm. they've gone past me type of foul. After he'd been booked, I remember he'd only been booked after his third foul, I think. He was just, it was disappointing. Um, you know, given given how well I have seen him play sometimes for him, I mean, I remember how well he played against Germany. Um and given the way uh, Hendrick, I, given the way Hendrick stepped up and Whelan stepped up, you know, if you oh, have, yeah. you, you would think that should help the other midfielder that the three of them together could really, could really dominate. But who were you speaking to after the game? Can let's hear some, some more reaction from the ground. Well, I talked a little bit on after the game, and this is in the bowl of the Stade de France, and maybe you can hear some sort of annoying buzzing sound of machinery in the background. I don't know whether you can or not, but if you can, that's because of the Stade de France groundsman who was going around with this sort of leaf blower who was he was trying to get rid of all this rubbish that had accumulated in the field from the greatest fans in the world who were just <laughs> behind there and throwing rubbish everywhere. But uh, that's just if you hear that. But I was speaking after the match to Jonathan Wilson. So we've decided to go uh, to an outsider here. This is the European Championships. Ireland are strutting their stuff on the world stage. So it's only appropriate we go to a citizen of the world, uh, Jonathan Wilson, to ask him how impressed he was by, uh, by Ireland today. I thought they were by a long way the better side for till they scored essentially, and then they seemed to bottle it. I don't know if Sweden suddenly. Why do you say bottle it? Well, because it seemed to me that I mean it, it might have been that Sweden just suddenly thought, oh, you know, we've got to come out, we've got to attack here. But Ireland was so much on top, and suddenly, as soon as they scored, they they seemed to get too deep. They seemed to to, to, to lose confidence in themselves. They were they were checking back rather than driving forward. That it was as if suddenly scoring and the thought is, is there in their mind of kind of hang on here we are at a major championship maybe about to win a game for the first time since 88 and then as soon as they conceded the game became a very even game again and, and Ireland could be shaded that last sort of quarter of an hour 20 minutes yeah. What did you make of uh, Wesley Houlihan uh, the uh, sadly not as young as he looks uh, Irish <laughs> playmaker I thought he was excellent I thought he and Hendrick were, were probably the two best players on the pitch today mm. Um and you, you, you wonder why it's taking so long for him to, to get his chance. I mean, you know that better than me, but yeah, he looked a player of real class and real quality of the sort that um, perhaps we don't necessarily associate with British and Irish football. Yeah, Hendrick you mentioned, uh, and I thought he did have a good game. He was one of the players that Roy Keane had, uh, had a bit of a pop at um, a couple of weeks ago, saying you, know, you could tell he hadn't played for a while. You couldn't really tell tonight. No, I mean, maybe he faded a little bit late on, but certainly that first, the first half and then the first sort of five minutes of the second half, I got a link up down the left between him and Brady worked really well. It does help when you're against 82-year-old Sunderland winger Sebastian Larson, but, <laughs> but still. Um, but I think you know, that, that's also something to bear in mind, that there were three Norwich players, two Sunderland players and Aston Villa player on the pitch. It wasn't... You, know, you watch the Belgium-Italy game afterwards and that is a, a level above. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly from Italy, maybe not from Belgium, but certainly from Italy it is. Uh, I mean, you know, the frustrating thing, I suppose, in, in a way, was Ireland actually played some quite good football, you know, through uh, the likes of players like Brady, Hendrik, Houlihan. They can actually play decent combination football, and a lot of what happened after the goal seemed to be kind of, oh, let's just kick this long and try and get up the field. I mean, it just seemed to be kind of, why is it such a, like an automatic process? Why, why does that always seem to happen? To, I, I have to use a different word other than British teams. I don't, I don't want to say British teams, but you know, British and Irish teams, British and Irish Lions, when they get into that situation, why do they so often forget 
to play the way that got them there? Well, I think I think there's a couple of things there. The, the first is, um, you know, people often look for national character expressed through the football you play, and I think almost invariably it's massively overblown. Um, there's some nations, Argentina, have a very self-conscious. Um, identification between the football team and the nation but for most countries I think we do overplay it but what does seem to reflect national character is what you blame when it goes wrong so British and Irish sides always blame lack of technique when things go wrong and I think that's what you see that they I I read a really interesting essay recently uh, I say recently probably two or three years ago uh, on whether three points for win was a good thing for football and it analysed you know, what, what changed when three points for win came into the English league in 81, was it, or 82 maybe? Mm-hmm. And actually, number of goals per game doesn't change particularly, number of wins doesn't change particularly. What changes is the number of fouls. Right. Because when you have a lead, you suddenly have two points to lose, not one. And so you play with this terror and this desperation because there's, there's, you know, the, the, the potential loss is double. So actually, that's, that's, that's amazing. So it actually yeah. became, made everyone more risk-averse and, and defensive once they, once they got into the league. I wouldn't say more defensive, but more desperate. Yeah. There's, a, there's a panic there more and they're fighting the harder. And I think that's the same thing, that when you, when you take the lead, suddenly that you have a significant thing to lose, whereas if it's, if it's level, you're just sort of playing the game, you're not really thinking of consequence. Because yeah. uh, you, you, know, you, you, haven't, you haven't gained something that you could potentially... Um, see slip away so I think that, that that anxiety that desperation immediately comes into play and because of that lack of technical quality uh, which British and Irish teams still seem to have for some reason despite all the academy work mm-hmm. all the foreign influences in the Premier League um, it's reflected in get the ball clear get it out don't, don't let it be me who makes a mistake and I think you, know, the, you, you talked about them suddenly playing the ball long getting it out I think there's two things that happened one is that sense of panic and one is the defence was playing much deeper the, as soon as they took the lead the defence dropped sort of 15 yards yeah. and that means the gap between the front and the back of the team is that much longer so you're playing longer passes which are more risky and therefore you lose the ball more yeah. what, uh, just to ask you what you think of is that time this is his game his, his team his people his city and he okay he did effectively score the goal for, for Sweden you could say but a lot of the time, maybe he's drifting around offside, giving away fouls, and looking quite frustrated. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the interview he gave after the game, but uh, a couple of days ago, he, he sort of gave this great you know, I've got to bear responsibility. This is all about um, me bringing everybody through. And, and, you know, he's talked about Sweden's great young side, you know, the, the side that won the under-21 Euros last year. And I think there was two players when team started, one came off the bench. Yeah. And he was talking about, yeah, I've got to carry them all forward. Today, after the game, it was... Yeah, what can I do? I wasn't getting the balls. I wasn't getting the balls. When are other people going to take responsibility for this team? <laughs> exactly. So I think he was pretty frustrated. I mean, the, the move leading up to the goal, that, that one too, was, was very nice with one of those under 21 players, with uh, John Giudetti. Um, but apart from that, he had that volley in the first half where was never going to score. Uh, he had that little hooked volley when he was sort of backing into Kieran Clark in the which, second half. Which I would have expected him to score, actually. The one in the first half or in the second? The second half. The second half, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he, he got his body in the right place to keep Kieran Clark off and he, he turned on just to it. Just the kind of goal he scores. Yeah, but just sort of didn't quite get the angle right and dragged it, I don't know, what, four or five feet wide. Yeah, so, so really these, these teams are, are probably fighting out for third in the group, unless Belgium can cook up a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I, 
I wasn't very impressed by Belgium tonight. Um, I think they're a team that it's not impossible that Ireland can beat. And I think maybe the way the fixtures fall, the fact Ireland play them next is a good thing. Um, if they did nick a win there, even a draw, you say they got a draw and Italy win both games, they got in the last game, maybe a draw then's enough, three draws might take you through. But uh, yeah, they, they, could, they could beat Belgium, I mean, Belgium will be favourites, but it's certainly not impossible. John Wilson, thank you. Uh, Kurt Cade, no, not Cade Mina Fulcher, Guram Mila Margaret. I have no idea what it means, but thank you. Cade Mina Fulcher, Ken, where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I tried to. I was trying to remember how to say thank you and Cade Mila Fulcher. Oscar, I'm not even, I'm not even sure why you were, you were you were impressing the Englishman with your knowledge of your native tongue. <laughs> well, look, top of the morning to you, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's the European Championships. It's a, it's a celebration of, of cultures. I felt it was right that we should, that I should mark the occasion, in my own native tongue. That was interesting, Richie. That Zla- um, Jonathan said Zlatan afterwards while he went into the tournament talking about how he's going to bring through these young players and going to show leadership and going to take the bull by the horns. After the game, he was giving out about a lack of service from his teammates. I suppose this is how Zlatan operates. We know he's an egotist. What did you make of his performance overall? Um, it was the type of performance we would have, before the match, hoped that he would have given. Um, I thought we handled him quite well. I don't, I, I don't... Other than the fact that he was him and he has this... you know Aura, yeah. Aura and is a reputation. I was looking at the game... If you didn't know anything about anyone, you wouldn't have said he's the one to keep an eye on because there was very little that he that he showed. Um, and as I said a moment ago, I think he's been overly praised for his contribution to their goal. But like he can have a go at his teammates if he wants, but um, maybe they came closer to giving the type of performance that they could give than than he came to giving the type of performance that he can give. So, um, but that's just his style. He's Ken. What do you reckon? When's uh, I thought I thought he was poor. You know, I mean. Um, there's, no, there's no other way to say it, really. But do we deserve praise for that, or was it just the case that, no, this, that this guy sometimes like, just I, I doesn't turn up? I mentioned that Whelan made, you know, made things very difficult for Zlatan. Yeah. Um, and you could see that Clark also, I mean, Zlatan started to abuse Clark after a while. He started to try to bully him physically. I mean, after the goal, after the Clark own goal, which is very un- unfortunate, really. I mean, I, I mentioned that he had a couple of ciders, and it was the third time. He, he he had the only shots that Sweden had. I mean, I think he had two shots on target against Ireland. Clark did. <laughs> Someone was saying last night, Zlatan and Clark, eventually, as the, as the night went on, struck up a really dangerous party. <laughs> and that, that, was pretty, that was what happened. It's very harsh. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a moment after the goal when Clark... Won a header against Zlatan brilliantly. Uh, the brilliant thing about it was that he was actually getting elbowed in the back of the neck uh, by Zlatan as he won this header. Nevertheless, won it and then you know went down in in obvious pain. But Zlatan had started trying. You know, he turned a little bit nasty at that stage. He was kind of stalking around, and he was um, he was trying to dole out some punishment, which is a sign that things really hadn't gone his way. Up to that point, I mean, Clark was unlucky ultimately that uh, this match will be remembered for his own goal, uh, or he will remember the match for his own goal. But I thought that between himself and Whelan, they actually did really well uh, against Latan and, and and kept them really quiet. Even though I suppose Latan ultimately was the one who who actually. Uh, effectively scored the, the Sweden goal. A lot of major nations in the world have sort of shed their football identity over the years, and even ones who are successful. 
sometimes it's a, it's all a bit generic. There isn't necessarily that much of a noticeable difference in style between different nations. Thankfully, Richie, Italy <laughs> are still Italy. Well, maybe not thankfully from an Irish point of view, but they were as Italian as, as could be last night. Were you one of those people, and I was one of them, that after yesterday's match, you kind of look ahead to the last two games, going, and Belgium, it's going to be difficult, but it's okay if we lose, because we've got Italy after that, and they're no great shakes. <laughs> Honestly, I wasn't one of those people. I was very worried by the likes of yourself and others who were writing them off. I know they've got no strikers and no creative midfielders, but I think there was a bit of glossing over yeah. of the fact that they've got uh, the Juventus defence, who are all playing for the manager who has managed them for a number of years. And when they have that, you don't need a huge amount. Italy could get to a final conceding like one goal in this tournament, uh, which is a worry for us, I think. Yeah, the, the, the game yesterday even was striking for two reasons. Just how good and, 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 and how well Italy played, but also just how in disarray Belgium were, how like particularly some of their, their, their key players just really had off days. Um, and they just fell into that category of we're now calling them you know a, t- a group of individuals rather than an effective team but um hopefully that's at least one good day that's them it's it's mm-hmm. that's their shock performance but they were they were awesome and Benucci's got ball for that first goal like that was oh, a thing extraordinary yeah. I was watching it again like everything that the, the the finish the ball itself everything was was exquisite Ken yeah no it was it was beautiful and Belgium though what's what's what is wrong <laughs> with Belgium I mean, there's there's a lot of theories about what's happening with with these guys, and a lot of them seem to. Well, mostly the the most popular theory has to do with Mark Wilmot's being a clueless coach. I mean, you know, you've got a team which has got all these great players. So why is Marwan Fellaini running the game for your team? <laughs> why is he the man who always seems to be the go-to pass for everybody in the team? Marwan Fellaini is a long way from being the best player in that Belgian team. Something is wrong if he is if he is the the, the boss, the chief, the playmaker on the field. That doesn't make any sense. But it's not as though... I mean, Lukaku had a great chance. He was through. You know, he the kind of chance that you'd expect to score, he missed. Um, Hazard was just bad in the way that Hazard sometimes is. And De Bruyne, in the way that he sometimes is. Actually, someone sent me a text during the game. When Kevin De Bruyne is going from one room to another, does he use the door... Or does he try and run very fast through the nearest piece of wall? Which is basically, <laughs> I thought, summed up his kind of, uh, you know, what he's doing when he's playing badly quite well, actually. Kevin De Bruyne, he, you know, he's, he's sometimes maybe a player who tries to solve problems with his um, physical abilities rather than, his, uh, rather than thinking his way out of them. You know what I mean? Is this bad um, news for Ireland Murphy uh, in that we now have Belgium needing to win or at least having been badly stung in the first game and the final match against Italy uh, have, Richie having written them off yeah. turns to out be honest, to be the, the like, force to be reckoned with. I think, uh, I think you spend the six months uh, before every tournament trying to decide where you're going to pick up the points necessary to qualify from your group and then you get into the group and you realise the, the, <laughs> the landscape changes completely. So the way I see it Belgium didn't play very well yesterday and didn't play well in the sort of way that suggests they might not be able to turn it around between now and Saturday. So, like, if you're asking me right now, I think we can definitely get a draw against Belgium. Uh, I think they they don't look like a very good team right now. Uh, they obviously have players that can hurt us and beat us 3-0. But at the same time, you know, like, <laughs> over, the, over the last year, we've, you know, we've played really well against good teams. And I think that if we play against teams that that have us on our guard, you know, that, that have really good players, we actually respond reasonably well to that. And I think that 
as of right now, like the one thing I would take from yesterday was that someone said it to me last night actually that John O'Shea walked up to the to the the coin toss and looked confident. He looked relaxed. The players looked relaxed. They looked good we, in the anthems. I thought yeah, as well. We played with conviction. And I think they if we good in the anthems, yeah, what do you mean? they look they look really steely, not too emotional. Honestly, if you compare it to, I know I always talking about rugby and that, but you know, lads sometimes with tears tears streaming down their face, which works for some people. I just thought they 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 just were carrying themselves. Yeah, really. I think there was nothing about the pre match route. Do you remember the game against Spain in Euro twenty twelve? Second half, they're ambling out. Behind, you know, a bit yeah. two minutes behind the Spanish team and all disjointed. Honestly, sometimes this body language, body language. You know, you could, be, you could easily lose a game three 0 after looking good in the anthems. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I, I, they, I, I think yeah. it's yeah. The point is worth is worth making that we had conviction about ourselves throughout yesterday, and I thought I thought that even when Sweden were playing well, it was it wasn't like one of these soul destroying performances. Like we've like we keep going back to Euro twenty twelve, but to be honest, it's worthwhile going back to Euro twenty twelve to point out that there are things that a team can do in their own preparation that makes it a lot more likely for them to perform, which is exactly what we saw yesterday. So I think, right, Belgium, they have loads of good players. I, I would be concerned about Walters. If we're, if we're missing Walters and Hulhan, that's obviously a huge, huge deal. But if we can get at least one of those playing on Saturday, I didn't see anything last night that would say, right, well, there's no way we can get to Belgium. And if we get to Belgium... If we draw with Belgium, maybe Italy have already beaten Sweden. That makes the Italy game a little easier. But I really think there's no point going from one Why game to the next. Trying to figure out. with Belgium. I mean, if we beat Belgium, we're through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're and you, out and we're through. If you compare the, if you, from a distance, if it's even possible, can you imagine the difference in the mood and the, the, the confidence in the atmosphere of the Belgian squad and our squad after yeah. yesterday? Can, I don't know, obviously not picking up on Belgian media this morning, but you would assume they're getting absolutely crucified. Oh, and the yeah, coach more. is going to be getting rinsed, that the individuals are all going to be, you know, flops, you can't play together, you're all egos, you're all individuals, there's no cohesion. You shame this country. Exactly, that's what they're getting, and we're getting the exact opposite. That, that Martin O'Neill spoke, and the player spoke, of their disappointment that they didn't win, and basking in the glow of knowing that they outplayed Sweden, and on a stage like this, they should be three points in the first game. So, worlds apart. Yeah, and I think as well that, like, the the Irish mentality is not, wow, we've done really well there. It's like, we've, okay, we've arrived. We're in the tournament. We've played really well. Probably unlucky not to get the three points. But it's not a case that we're going to sit back and relax now. You know, like, like, there's a job of work still to be done there. And it's not, you know, the the way we we get a, a good performance and oftentimes we kind of shrink for the next game. Like, we can't afford to do that. And I don't think we will do that. And it's just, like, it's weird, you know, like the, 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 this group, it was always going to be quite difficult, but as of right now, we're in it. And like, I, yeah, I, I, you yeah. know, like, I like mm. your positivity. No, it's true. Like we've, we have turned up this time. We yeah. know that we've yeah, turned like, up. We're a part of the tournament. You know, we're a part of the tournament in the way that we never were. We weren't even for five minutes in Euro 2012. Mm. So that's good. So let's, let, <laughs> let, let's see what happens with Belgium. But I mean, I, I didn't see anything last night that would, that would, you know, frighten me. Hey Ken, Simon's backing up my anthems point. He says that as soon as he saw Buffon before the game last night, he decided Italy were going to win. <laughs> the tournament. <laughs> but, but Buffon is always like that in the anthem. Yeah, and Italy, all, and Italy like usually like do well John in tournaments. Hayes. It's yeah. the John Hayes of Italy. Yeah. Like he, uh, every time he hears that song, he just, it's a Pavlovian <laughs> weeping, like tears pour from his eyes and he's like, oh, you know, all this sort of bristles all over his body, stand on end and he's just, and he's ready for action. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're necessarily going to win. <laughs> uh, speaking of eyes, Richie, before we let you go, before we wrap this up. Eyes? Eyes. You see where I'm, I'm about to go with this? No, but go on. Robbie Keane. I know you were as obsessed as everybody else on the internet last night, but Robbie Keane's... <laughs> what 
what was going on with Robbie Keane? I, I, you try and explain it, Ken. Go on. I was, I was sitting in the stadium, <laughs> and Robbie Keane. You know, it's the same image that you're talking about on in on the TV feed. Yes. That's on the big. That's on the stadium. The the screen in the stadium, and. It, I was like, I, I started looking up at it, it. It caught my eye, you know. It doesn't. That doesn't often happen during the game. But Robbie Yeen's crazy bulging eyes caught my. I, I was like, what is going on with Robbie Yeen? You know, I, uh, I think what Robbie was trying to do was try to attract the attention of a person fifty yards away without putting his he hands was, up. He was, I he know, was looking for but a long ball, yeah. Oh, it's amazing! It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you could probably that you could possibly try and attempt to make your eyes so big. That it's equivalent to waving your hands in the air <laughs> to signal for a free kick to be put in your, your bods. All right. I, don't, I don't really get it. Today's games, I'm looking at the schedule here, 2 o'clock. Oh, so mm. Can I just say one yeah. other thing about the game? Absolutely. So, uh, when I arrived at the, when I arrived in Society, when I got there, it turned out that I, mm-hmm. I was seated in the press overflow section. Right. Oh. Which is to say, you know, the seats to the right of the press box without even a desk. <laughs> so I was sitting. So I was sitting there thinking to myself, this seating arrangement shames this Euro. <laughs> when uh, just before kickoff, um, I heard someone shout out to me and I looked around and it was Raphael Honigstein. Raphael Honigstein, frequent contributor to this program. Uh, he said, Ken, do you need a desk? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, well, there's loads of space over here. Why don't you come over? And I said, thank you very much. So I got up, kind of clambered in between, clambered under this sort of like chain link uh, barrier, went over to where uh, Raphael was. There was a desk there, sat down. And I was a little, I, I knew, that I knew, as, as the game went on, I was a little kind of, okay, I'm watching the game at Raphael Hunstein. And I actually feel slightly embarrassed every time somebody boosts the ball up the line. Uh, <laughs> which, which was just a sort of idle thought that crossed my mind. But after about 20 minutes, and I hope he doesn't mind me revealing this on, Raphael Einstein said, so, when's the football going to start? Oh. Oh, I thought, well... Thank you for your oh. contributions to this show, Raphael. That will be the end of our friendship. <laughs> I think, no, I think he was joking. Because at the end, at the end, he was in tears. He'd been won over. He'd been won over by Celtic football. Wes Hulhan. He was just—he was just shaking his head, and he was his eyes were actually shining with tears. As as well as is this isn't this actually isn't true to be honest. Although he did <laughs> he did say actually you know this this turned out to be better than I thought. Okay. Uh, but at the time you know at the time he was he was determined not to be impressed. But you know couldn't help. Once he'd seen enough of Wes Hill and Jeff Hendrick, you know what could he say? He had to admit he was wrong. Today's game, two o'clock. No match. That's the bad news, everybody, in case you're well, rushing home from work. and an it's outrage. It's an absolute outrage. Well, so we've only got two games of football on Yeah. Time. One at five o'clock, Austria versus Hungary. I don't know what I'll do with myself. Oh. And Portugal-Iceland, eight o'clock. I'm working on the eight o'clock game in RTE um, on the panel alongside Stephen Hunt and Damien Duff. And a horrible thought came to my head. I thought, 
and then I actually googled Duff's birthday and went, You're the shit, <laughs> I'm the senior analyst. <laughs> <laughs> How the hell has it come to this? I said, I'm the new guy. I'm oh. meant to be the young one. And now I'm officially the I oldest re- one. I'm the alpha of the panel. I really hope you're referred to from now on as a senior, senior analyst yeah. on that. Fresh-faced, panel. young gunner. 37-year-old <laughs> senior I like analyst. the way you googled Duffer's birthday. Yeah, Didn't I, think about, I think he's yeah. about six or seven weeks younger than me. Doesn't yeah. matter, Richie. Doesn't matter. <laughs> senior analyst. Thanks, Smurf. Thank you all. Thanks, Thank Ken. you, Ken. Thank you, Richie. Thanks, uh, thanks, thanks Richie. senior thanks, analysts. Kieran. Thanks, lads. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the football today. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Meet 2024's most anticipated robot vacuum, Eufy X10 Pro Omni. With powerful 8,000 PA suction and MopMaster's dual mop pads, it keeps your floor sparkling clean. It's the winner of five Best of CES awards, and Digital Trends says it boasts almost all the same features as robot vacuums that cost twice as much. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.